Texas is currently under attack. You may live nowhere near there, but you may be impacted by what's going on in the state of Texas right now as well. We're going to talk about what's going on there, how it can impact you, your clients, and your family. All that and more today on the Risk Directions podcast with me, your host, Hayden Kopser. Ladies and gentlemen, the state of Texas is under attack. No, there is not an armed group that is coming after the state. Probably wouldn't be a good idea. A lot of armed services folks down there. But what is going on is there is a massive cyber attack that is now impacting 22 different agencies of government. The initial indicators were that it was 23. They've now lowered that number by one. We have very few details that are coming out of the state government. But what we do know is that is what's happening. There's only one known county so far that was able to block the attack by following good cyber protocol. That was Lubbock County. They were able to follow their internal guidelines, alerted their IT team to a malicious file. Turned out it would have been ransomware. Thankfully, they were able to avoid that. But with that in mind, what does Texas being under attack have to do with you, with your family, with your clients, with your company? How could it possibly impact you? How could it impact your community? We're going to go over on this episode what the broader implications are of this case, because again, we do not know many details other than that these departments are being held ransom. So you may be wondering, what does it mean for a department of government or a government agency to be held ransom? What does it mean for a municipal government or a state government to be held ransom, to be extorted? Well, it's not so different than if someone kidnaps your child and they demand money to give it back, or if they steal something of value to you and demand money to give it back. The only difference is what they're kidnapping or hijacking is access to your computer systems. And so why on earth would a state government be a big target for this, or a local municipal government or city government? Why would someone come after them with a cyber attack? And let's say it's not a foreign actor. We can get into what that would mean later on. But let's say for the moment that it's not a foreign actor, that it's just some cyber criminals trying to make money off of a state government or a local government. Well, the reason they go after them is because state and municipal governments typically have pretty good insurance in place, and they typically have really crappy technology. Uh, That doesn't go across the board, but naturally, if, as they said in an article on CNBC recently, If there are potholes that aren't filled and you try and justify spending a ton of money on cybersecurity, good luck getting reelected to office. (laughs) I'm paraphrasing the comment, but that really sums it up. Um, It's hard to justify a multi-multi-million dollar spend in some of these circumstances to actually get the right technology in place to protect a municipal government, although that is probably the right move in many cases. And municipal government websites and state government websites are now used for people to file state and local taxes to make payments to things like their municipal water service and so forth. And so hackers will go after them knowing that their technology is not very good and also knowing that their insurance carrier is going to make a payout most likely. So the payout is not only to end the ransom. So let's say say they charge them $100,000. It's probably a whole lot more in many cases to end the ransom event. Okay, great, you ended the ransom event, but what about the loss of income during the hours, days, or maybe even months that your system is down? Well, that's a totally different coverage that has to come into play. So you have have loss of income. And for a small business that gets hit with a cyber attack, you have an obvious loss of income. 
if you're, let's say, a restaurant that takes online orders and your system goes down, that could be a loss of a good chunk of your income, regardless of how long it's down for. From a percentage perspective, it's, it could be a lot of your business. And so you not only have to end this cyber attack and make a payout to end it, but then you also have the loss of business income. And oftentimes, the loss of business income uh, is what actually ends up sinking a company. It's not the actual event itself. And that goes for fires and water damage and so forth. So you have municipal governments are targeted. They are known as being vulnerable. A lot of them run on the same server. So you may have a whole county that has every municipality running on one service provider servers. So then if you break into that service provider system, you're able to almost instantly take over multiple different state government offices or municipal government offices. And so it's a really powerful method of attack. There is a tremendously high success rate. You've seen municipalities of big cities like Newark and Baltimore and Goodyear, Arizona, and many others over the last couple of years, as this has become more popular, they've had to make big payouts and they've had to deal with cybersecurity cost increase to try to avoid this happening again. They've had to avoid loss of income. In the case of a government, you're talking about loss of revenue, tax revenue typically, or local service revenue rather than selling products online. Uh, but it's no different than when, the, when a business goes down, like we mentioned before. And so because these methods of attack are becoming so popular and so successful, uh, it, it certainly only leads to them being done even more and more. So now other governments are being targeted. And rest assured, as you're listening to this, as I am saying this, there are hackers who are looking into various other state and local governments, and they are considering how they're going to be able to go and hack into their systems. And many of them will be successful, unfortunately. And so this may all be really worrisome, and you may say, well, crap, I probably can't do anything to prevent this. I'm not a tech expert. But thankfully, there are plenty of things that you can do. Now, let's say, for example, that you're a business owner. The first step is to look into where your systems are running on. Where is your website running on? Is it a well-known backend as a service? Is it some random company that you found online who offered a dollar a month for hosting? Well, if you're going for the cheap route, it may be secure, but there's probably a good chance that it's not. Um, so there are plenty of very successful hosting companies if you want to host your website somewhere. Uh, companies that host data or websites could be something like AWS from Amazon, which a massive chunk of the internet is actually run on, whether you realize it or not, or whether it says it or not on a website. Uh, entire companies have built themselves around AWS and are not legally tied to them. Uh, MongoDB is a good example, whose stock has been shooting up over the last few years. Sadly, I did not buy in. I hope someone listening to this did. Um, but there are, and then you have groups like Bluehost, and then you have GoDaddy hosting. And so I don't have an answer specifically for us for what business you're using, but I can only suggest that you look into a reputable company, and that's a step one. So you can't control what happens on their end, but you can at least go with a company who is well-funded, who has a great track record of A, uptime for their databases or their servers, and B, a track record of not being hacked frequently. And so that's step one if you're a business. If you are serving clients, let's say you're serving clients, you're advising businesses, or maybe you are advising successful families, or if you yourself are a successful individual and you have a lot of computer systems in your home and you do a lot with technology, well, what can you do there? 
Well, if you're trying to protect yourself and your family, for example, or a client's family from cyber attacks, there are actually a lot more methods to be able to get into a household system than maybe there are even to get into a commercial system. And so the average uh, successful family, especially in what they call the high net worth sphere, has about 30 technology devices in their household. And that may sound like a high number, but when you think of everything that's connected to the internet in your house, or maybe your apartment, it's really not hard to get there. I mean, as I'm recording this podcast, I have my laptop in front of me that's connected to the internet. I have two of my phones in front of me that are also connected to the internet. I have an iPad. I have a Microsoft Surface nearby. And so already I'm looking at five devices. And then there are plenty more that if you have modern technology in even your refrigerator, you may have a Wi-Fi connected fridge or you may have a Wi-Fi connected security system. And so all of these separate devices are a different way to hack you. And again, I don't say this to scare you, but you need to be aware of this. And so what can you do to protect yourself? Well, there are some really basic things. Some things are something like setting up a guest Wi-Fi network. So if you set up a guest Wi-Fi network, it doesn't give someone access to your direct Wi-Fi, but it does give them access to use the internet, not through LTE or 3G, 4G, 5G, whatever they're using now or in the future, but it does give them access to the internet and you can change that password. It's it's not going to put them on the same Wi-Fi that you are on, but it will let them use the internet there. And so when, when we're saying who should you give guest Wi-Fi to, it could be friends. It could be friends of friends who are stopping by for a drink who you don't know too well. It could be the contractor who's coming to work on your kitchen or maybe the plumber who's coming to fix your bathroom. So there are very small steps like that that will actually do that will actually go a really long way towards helping protect you and your family. And then there are other more interesting methods. So let's look at something like social media. So when you sign up for Instagram, which nowadays, I don't know by the numbers, but most people seem to use that a lot more than even Facebook, even though Facebook owns it. When you sign up for Instagram, you can set your profile as public or you can set it as private. And a lot of social media networks now allow you to do this. Um, I think LinkedIn probably allows you to, Facebook allows you to, and so forth. So companies are getting bigger on privacy. So take advantage of things like that. Don't don't just automatically let the whole world see your posts. I mean, when I post this podcast, I will do that because I'm trying to gain public support and public knowledge and, and people from the general public who are listening to this. But if I'm going to post something with my family, I don't need the whole world to see that. And so I'm not going to. So Sometimes it makes sense if you do need to use the internet for business purposes or if you want to build a, f a public following, you may want to have separate accounts. You may want to have an account for your personal stuff that your friends can follow, and you may want to have a separate account on social media on various platforms that the general public can follow. And you can break down and help compartmentalize your life into these two sections, which honestly is probably a healthier habit to have than combining your whole business with your personal life. That is something that I do quite frequently, so I am not someone to judge you or, or really speak on that, but it probably is healthier to separate the two, even though I don't. Uh, so you can do little things like that, and that way, let's say you're posting videos of yourself on vacation, people aren't thinking to even break into your house because they don't know you're away, possibly. Um, that's something that also happens now. Or, And then also, if you do have children, making sure that they do this stuff 
is as important as you doing it. Because if you do everything on your end and your spouse does everything on their end and then your kids are going crazy with the internet and everything they post is public and they give everyone your Wi-Fi password when they come by, well, guess what? Everything you're doing is, is more or less useless or it's the value of you doing it is really being diluted by allowing them to also just go out there and be as public as possible and as risky as possible with your info. And so there are a number of other steps that we can go into. Um, and if you have yourself or your clients and you want advice on this, I would be more than happy to do that. I'm not going to talk more on the podcast because I don't want to bore people getting into excruciating detail. But by all means, reach out if you want to go over this further. Uh, and then moving on to what are the broader implications of this? And more so from a security and a national security standpoint, what you're seeing now is if a state or a municipal government can be attacked by a hacker, why can't the federal government? Why can't the Pentagon? Why can't the CIA? And the fact is that they can. And that's really the scary thing where we stand right now. Now, I recall probably 10, maybe eight years ago, Leon Panetta, during his era at the Pentagon, was asked if a cyber attack from a country would be considered an act of war. And if I recall at the time, the Pentagon said more or less, yeah, that would be considered an act of war. And so that's a pretty scary concept. So if it's very easy to hack these systems, it could be very easy for another country to spark a war with us. Now, oftentimes, it's probably just general hackers who are trying to make money committing these attacks. But there are plenty of scenarios where, for example, North Korea hacked Sony. They probably had help from the Chinese because unless you've been living under a rock, North Korea doesn't really have very good technology. I don't know if they even have much internet. They do surgeries by sunlight because they don't have much electricity at night or maybe even during the day. So they probably had help somewhere. But so you potentially have foreign actors who are trying to get into systems of the U.S. government. And that's a problem to begin with, but it's an even bigger problem if our systems are very hackable, someone gets in easily, and then potentially it's considered an act of war depending on the result of it. I mean, potentially you could shut down a power grid in certain cities just by hacking onto their internet systems. Or maybe you can shut down a port, the port of Newark or a Gulfport city. Uh, a lot of those are a big cyber threat because there's so much money that goes into and out of those ports that if you could hold them for ransom, my gosh, you could have an unfathomable amount of money that is on the line or that you could make someone pay out. And even if it's not the municipality that pays out, it's still money that someone's paying out. And if it is an insurance company that pays out that money, everyone else's rates are going to end up going up because they're losing so much money on it. Or they'll offer less broad coverage, which is also another problem. Uh, but so you have all of these issues going on, and it's more of an emerging field, even though it's nothing new in the sense of this has been going on for years and years, but it's an emerging field because it's now seeing a, a more localized impact and an impact on our lives. And you have coverage now that has come out for small businesses, for large businesses, for families that will help protect from cyber events. But ultimately, the act of protection has to come from us as individuals or us as business owners or us as members of an organization. And so that's a difficult thing. People are flawed. We're all going to click a bad link at some point. We're all going to click on a file and start to download it and then realize, oh, crap, this is not a file that I should be downloading or looking at because it looks like it's suspicious. 
And everyone, anyone can get a virus on their computer, even if you have good antivirus software. And so a uh, primary focus of the Risk Directions podcast is going to be focused on cyber events, because it seems every week there is a new event, a scarier event than the last. It's not just one municipality getting hit. Now it's 22 throughout a state. And so it's really scary what's going on. And so it may be scary and seem a little bit hopeless, but what we really need to do is not cover our heads in the sand, but we have to be aware of what's going on and do everything possible. And so that's why I'm going to be doing my best to go over these events, talk about the implications of each event, and then also give some pointers on what people can do to better secure themselves, because I think that's the most important thing. I could talk about everything that's going wrong all day long, but if I'm not telling you how to fix it, that's really just kind of depressing and morbid. So there is hope. There is a lot that we can do. And as long as you stay tuned in future episodes, and I think we'll all be able to improve the cybersecurity methods that we're following just by considering event by event what could be done to avoid it in the future. And on that note, episode two of the Risk Directions podcast is over with. I am your host, Hayden Kopser. This this podcast is presented by my company, North Improvement LLC, which was recently co-founded to be a digital insurance brokerage. We are operating in various states throughout the Northeast and beyond. We would love to have you as a client. If you don't want to be a client but want to continue listening, that's great too. You can find Risk Directions on SoundCloud, on YouTube, on iTunes. You can follow us there. You can follow the company or myself, Hayden Kopser, on LinkedIn. We are constantly posting. We're constantly coming out with new content, and we hope to have you back in the future.